0: Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, that it's such a, a profound experience to have you come into our lives, into our existence. Lord, even into our flesh and into our blood. And to speak a word with such power and such mystery. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would believe. And we would receive the, the gift of the good news, the gift of yourself, the gift of your love, in ways that we have not before. Lord, strengthen us in the gift that you have for us this morning of your love in all of its dimensions. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. We continue. Um, in our Lenten season, this time of um, fasting and preparation, but I've been describing it as a season of strengthening. It's not typically what you think of in the context of fasting because a lot of times, if you're literally fasting from food, you might actually feel a little bit weak. But it's a season of strengthening. It's the way the church has always understood it. And um, it's also a season of, real, it's of cleansing, so in a sense, it's a preparation season for an experience of the Lord's presence. It's really profound. It's really transformational. In fact, you can think of John as a person who's just obsessed, if you will, with the Lord's presence. He's obsessed with making sure that every dimension, every aspect, every quality of God's presence be revealed to us so that we can enter into it. And uh, so our, our icon of, of John leaning into the Lord's breast, I mean, it's really, it's such the portrayal of what he wants us to do in every way. He wants us to lean completely into the, into the breast of the Lord, right into his heart. And we're, we're calling this season, uh, the, the series, if you will, really our entire year's theme is Heart to Heart. And in some ways, um, what he's asking us to do is to lean into that heart, which is, an exp- which is the seat of, of authority. It's the seat of affection, the seat of desire, the seat of, of courage. That word even comes from one of the roots of, of heart in the Latin. It's the, it's the place where his will reigns. And he wants us to lean into his heart where his will to love all of us reigns. And he's willing to do a lot of things to make sure that we actually come and receive that invitation and then lean ourselves, our presence, into his presence so that we can be changed. We can actually have a meeting with him. We can actually have a communion with him. And that's what our gospel today, I think, in many ways is talking about, is how do you come into a real meeting with Jesus and a real meeting with God? He wants to meet with you. His desire is to meet you. That's his will. He wants to gather you into his presence. He wants to love you. He wants you to belong. He wants you to understand that nobody, once you are there, can take you out of his hand. This is really the place he wants you to dwell. Because he came into our flesh. He tabernacles in our flesh, if you will, and makes it a temple, as he puts it today in today's gospel, that we together would dwell with him in that meeting place, in our very human existence. And he'll do everything necessary, even some aggressive things, to make sure that we actually are meeting with him and dwelling with him and encountering his presence because he knows that that's gonna change us. He knows that it's gonna make a difference. He knows that it's actually the only way for us to have have life, real life. John calls it eternal life. I mean, it's, it's a life that's so robust that even death can't touch it and the sting of sin is extracted you know, and, and now you can enter into this life that doesn't end. It's, it's a fountain of life. It's like living water is how he puts it when he's talking to the woman at well. It just rushes and gushes. And it even, he describes it as welling up within. I mean, it's a robust life. It's refreshing and it's strengthening and it's what he wants to give us here in this Lenten season. He'll do a lot to make sure it happens. Um, one of the I would say, almost um, mythic experiences of my life was in the early days of our founding, our parent church, our mother church, if you will, Church of the Resurrection in in Wheaton, which is now our cathedral where our bishop has his seat. We were part of um, a different uh, Episcopal oversight context. We had a different bishop back then. And uh, we had a ministry in our church, which is really remarkable. It was a ministry of transformation, of people coming out of all kinds of brokenness. And I mean all kinds. I mean, not just one particular brand. But um, there was a lot of people coming out of particularly um, sexual brokenness, where they had come to our church and they had met Jesus and had been such a transforming experience, such an encounter with them, with Him in their own embodied lives, that it was changing the way that they think. It was changing the affections of their hearts. It was changing even what they desired. And they were amazed to find that a lot of the brokenness in their sexuality was being redeemed. And for them, that was incredibly wonderful freedom. And a great liberty, and they were set at liberty to, to praise God with their lives in a way that had been before just a, a struggle or even completely not possible. And so they were finding this kind of transforming experience of freedom in, in Jesus from some stuff that our culture would just say, Look, you just have to put up with it. In fact, you should probably just embrace it. Um, so we were working, I would say, I mean, we were a church at that point of around six or seven hundred, and um, I, I think we probably had 25 to 50 people in our church who would say that, we, that they had come out of this particular kind of sexual brokenness. And again, it's a lot of different stripes and a lot of different varieties of it. Um, we know now that there are lots of different ways you can be broken in this part of our human identity. And um, they would go to our bishop's church at the time in Chicago, and they would get really confused because the bishop and a lot of his other priests and a lot of his other churches were saying, that's how God made you. In fact, the gospel is in that. So we called the, the bishop and our denomination at the time to repentance because we just felt like, man, you're not, you're not being pastorally really loving here. And that's what these 25 to 50 people were telling us is that they, how can you be under the authority of somebody who actually doesn't care about the condition of our souls when we've already been freed from these ways of enslavement? How can you be under that kind of authority? That doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And they appealed to us as pastors at the time to get straight about this. So it wasn't right. And so we're in the midst of a season and it was Lent We were praying prayers of repentance ourselves for not having been really clear and not really having told the line, even though we were ministering to folks in a way that was true and bringing them out of it. But we were under an authority who was saying other things. In fact, I remember sitting in a a meeting with this bishop and he said, we are now at a point in history where the Holy Spirit is revealing things that contradict scripture. Oh, that's heresy. It's... He was basically making of himself an apostate bishop. It's a really, really scary and really sobering thing when that happens. And so we were in deep repentance for having been under that authority. Praise God, we have a godly bishop and a godly denomination now where we are very much trying to and faithfully upholding the faith once given in all of what that means. We understand that we're under scriptural authority. We understand that the Holy Spirit is not inspiring things that in any way contradict Holy Scripture. In fact, we've really, really in many ways, we've, we've built ourselves on the solid rock. At the end of our gospel today, it says, and they believed in the Scriptures and they the believed in the Word that Jesus spoke. And that's where, that's where we live, folks, right now. That's, that's really the temple space in which we live and we want to continue to live. During that season, we're just saying, like, well, Lord, what are we supposed to do about this? You know, because this is our bishop, and we're people who believe that we're, you know, we don't just, you know, willy-nilly leave a structure that it seems like you set up with the apostles a long time ago, but this bishop and this context is, is really wrong. And so, one of the Sundays, it's the Sunday, um, during that Lenten season, the bishop actually came for a visit to us. And on that morning... The credence table, that's the table right there. That's where you keep all the elements before you set the table and then you celebrate communion together. We had a credence table there and the bishop was standing right next, well, actually it was a little bit away. It was probably about 10 feet away, at least. And um, before the beginning of the service, we're doing our pre-service prayers and the bishop is standing there and the table collapses. And... All of the cruets that held the wine shattered, and one of the loaves of bread literally rolled to the feet of the bishop. And what we understood the Lord to be saying very clearly is that I will overturn the tables of the apostate. I will overturn the tables of those who are preaching lies. I will overturn anything, In fact, I am intensely going to get in the way of anything that keeps my people from coming to me and remaining with me. And so, the Lord was fiercely saying, I'm here to be with you and I want you to be with me and nobody's gonna mess with that. Nobody is gonna take you out of my presence. Nobody. And I will overturn tables to establish my communion with you. To me that, in some ways, you don't have to listen to anything else the rest of the service because I want you to hear that the, the Jesus that John is showing us is a fierce and he is a, he will even with holy ire go and do what needs to be done and he will do it with zeal to make sure that we get to meet with him. And nothing is gonna stop us from being able to meet with him and to dwell with him and to lean our heads into his heart forever and forever. And nothing is going to break that communion as far as he's concerned. I think that's what we see with Jesus as he comes in to the temple area. It's most likely in the the area where the Gentiles are. So in the Synoptic Gospels, you know, when he's clearing out the temple right before his Passion Week, which is a different time than John places it. He places this right at the the beginning of his ministry. And the early church said, well, he probably did this at least a couple times, cleared out the temple. But the word that he had said then in those synoptic houses, this is, you know, my, my house shall be a house of prayer for the Gentiles. So very likely, this is in the court where all the people, even if they weren't Jewish, could gather and they could pray. And he's being really intense about like, look, there's something wrong here. Something has infected this space that is supposed to be a holy meeting space where people can come and meet God. And so he comes in and he Overturns the table, and it's a pretty, uh, pretty serious way that he does it. I mean, he makes a whip of cords in order to, you know, make sure all of those animals get out of there. Then tells the pigeon sailors, you know, "Get these out of here. This, this is this is a holy place. In other words, it's set apart." The words that are used there is that it's like he's he's consumed, right? He's like burning. It's like it's a, it's actually a kind of a an expression of hunger if you will, like he, th- this zeal for this place, this temple, which is the meeting place between God and man, is so intense, it's like a fire in him, he, he, it's like a devouring fire, it's, it's eating away in him, and one, one translation even said is it tears at him from the inside, that's how intense it is, and it's a quote from Psalm 69, where it talks about the zeal for this place of meeting with God, And um, so Jesus cleanses the temple. I think what he's been doing right from the beginning and what John wants us to grasp is that, again, he's gonna do whatever it takes to make sure we meet with God and we dwell with him because he is the presence of God in the flesh. So a few weeks ago, we talked about Nathaniel, and Nathaniel Is there praying apparently under the fig tree? And um, Jesus sees him and it shocks Nathaniel. And he says, You haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you see angels ascending and descending on me. And he's locating that place where the angels will ascend and descend in himself. He's the ladder connecting heaven and earth. He's, he is the place. He is the locus of the divine presence because he is God become flesh, tabernacling in the flesh among them. And in that place, he hungers for us to come and join him. He's z- zealous for it. He's very hungry for us to join him there. Tonight we're even gonna talk about he's thirsty in a sense for it. He so wants us to commune with him But what's happened here is that, and this is what happens, I think this is what was happening with um, our church under the bishop that we were under at the time is that the world has somehow come into a space that's supposed to be dedicated to God and supposed to be a context for meeting him, and the world has come into it, and the structure of the world has come into it and sort of co-opted it. It's not right. Something reverse has happened from what God means to happen. And so Jesus reverses the reversal. He overturns those tables that have been set up. What, what, what is going on? It's, it, it, these, are, these are marketplace people. They're doing, they're conducting business in a space that's supposed to be holy for people to meet God and meet with him, experience the presence of God. And there's commerce happening. I mean, we could think of it as like, you know, prosperity gospel and, the, you know, those, those things are kind of easy to target and I think that's true. You know, the prosperity gospel in many ways has infected uh, different parts of the church diff- at different times. And so we can kind of turn the church into a place where, you know, it's about the money. And it's about the, about the stuff. And, and um, you know, hey, if I give you some money, God, will you bless me kind of thing. And um, I think that's part of it. So we can take that to home and, and, and kind of repent of the, this notion that we might be able to bargain our way into this meeting place with God. He's already provided for us to meet with him. But I also think that there's, there's just, there's a lot more subtle ways that we do this. I think it's actually the structures of our mind that first of all get really stuck in this trouble structures of our mind. In fact, you could even think of the world. The world, the term for the world in, in John is often cosmos. So cosmos is like this ordered system in which we know how life works. And I think in the West, we're very capable and we think we know how life works. And so we're no longer in need of God to come from the outside and transform us. We're no longer in need of his wisdom to come in from the outside and show us how to live. We're no longer in need of his presence in a way to come in and transform us because we can, through a transaction, make it happen, for instance. We can, through uh, the things that we've figured out, earn our way into his presence. And, and, and actually, a lot of times, I think this is what was going on with the bishop, we'll be co-opted by the world and the world will start to infect the church and we actually get in the way, we the church then get in the way of people meeting God because we're no longer letting his word and his will and his heart shape our hearts. We're no longer heart to heart, we're no longer will to will, if you will. <laughs> we're not letting his words and his will and his way shape us. And manifest His presence in our body, the body. And so Jesus says, you know, in three days, you know, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Um, which is a remarkable thing. They don't, they don't quite understand what He's saying. John makes it clear He's referring to His body. I mean, they just can't conceive of the fact, look, this is a system that actually works really well. In fact, it's a really, um, a lot of it was revealed by God. I mean, it was given to Moses. He had specific instructions, and then with the inspired work of a lot of craftsmen and artisans, they put this holy space together, and, you know, there's the temple, there's the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Israelites, the court of the priests, and then there's the holy bullies, and we kind of know how you go in to meet with God. And, and all we're doing is trying to facilitate. We're trying to make it easy for people to come in. And so we let the world come in and infect how it is that we're doing stuff because we want to make it easy for people to come in. And in a lot of ways, we actually make it harder as soon as we start to think that way. Oh, I'm going to compromise with the world because the world, you know, that's not all bad. I mean, I think a lot of times we fall prey to this idol, what we call tolerance, you know? And it's a false tolerance. It says it's okay to just continue with life as you are, you don't actually need a sacrifice Um, and we do need a sacrifice, Jesus isn't saying we don't need a sacrifice, Jesus isn't saying we don't need to be holy to be in in his holy presence, he's just saying I'm taking care of it and you don't have to try and make it happen according to your own wisdom, you need to let my wisdom come in and inform you, you need to let my grace come in to change you, to transform you so he's talking about his body. And once again, what he's saying is, it's in me that you will meet the Father. All you need to do is come to me to meet him and to have fellowship with him and to be in this space of real prayer. And the disciples remember later that zeal for his house would consume him. Is he's hungry for us. You know, Mary had just, um, at the beginning of this chapter, had been talking to him about this domestic problem with a wedding feast, and, and she said, do whatever he says. So listen to his words. Let his words dictate to you what needs to happen. And in that house, the founding of that house was filled with abundance. He took care of them. There was a manifestation of the presence of God there. He actually took care of them because Mary realized all you need to do is listen to his words. And the disciples decide they're gonna listen to his words and they believe in it. I'm sorry, it's not in your reading, but at the end of the chapter, it says really clearly we believed in the scripture and believed in his word that he spoke. And so Mary kind of does that and she's giving us a picture and John is telling the story about the wedding of Cana. There's a picture of abundance there. That when he comes in and tabernacles among us, he actually makes a space for us to meet him. And he actually takes care of everything, by the way. Later on, he'll talk about providing the food, and he says, my, my, um, my blood is, is the wine, and my body, my flesh, if you will, is the bread. And if you don't eat and partake of me in this way, you actually don't have part of me. You don't have part of this life that I'm trying to give to you. And at the end of... The gospel, this wonderful story about Peter and John, and they've been laboring all night, operating, I guess you could say, in their own wisdom, according to their own exertion of power, trying to get food by fishing all night, and they get nothing. But then Jesus from the shore calls out and says, Do you have anything? Have anything to eat? And they're like, no, we've been laboring all night. And he says, throw it on the other side. And they do it. They actually listen to his word. And then they haul in this incredible amount of fish, 153 big fish. And he provides for them breakfast. He does it for Peter first. And then he, having fed Peter, having loved Peter in this way, having even made Forgiveness to Peter, because we do need to be forgiven because we're not holy. We need to have things provided for us to come into his presence. He then invites Peter to feed the sheep himself, to take the sheep to Jesus where they can actually graze upon real food and drink, real drink. It's a, it's a meal that's founded on his gratuity on his generosity. It's a a meal they can buy without money, as Isaiah puts it. They don't have to do the transactional stuff. So Jesus is really turning the tables over in terms of how we tend to think. He wants us to come and receive from him and receive real food and real drink. This afternoon, I'm gonna be um, doing my son's um, Christ, we we kind of call it a Christian bar mitzvah. He's 13, and um, so I and my brother Leif, and some of the other men in his life who've had a strong influence on him, who really look up to him, we're going we're to bring words to him about what, what does it really mean to be a man? What does it really mean to be um, a, a man of God? And what does it mean to have your own body, in fact, be a temple, to be a place where the presence of God has free reign? And I think, you know, one of the things that bar mitzvah means is to be under the law, but what we're under in Jesus is a law of love. And the first thing we know about John, or the, one of the main things I should say we know about John, is he understands that he's the beloved disciple. He is first of all loved. He's, he's a partaker of that first love. He's a partaker of the meal that's been prepared for him. And he feasts upon that meal And he's very clear that in that space that he has something to share. And so he is heart to heart, he's will to will. Um, Having been given so much that that Jesus shared with him, he shares with the disciples. And he, at the end of his life, he says, you know, love, 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 it's all about that. In the same sacrificial way that Jesus is talking about, he's inviting us, having so received, to share as well. I think if, if, if I understand what it means to be a disciple, whether we're men or women, and what I think that we're supposed to learn from John, and what we're supposed to learn even in Lent in this strengthening season is that, first of all, let him love you. First of all, let him make a place in which you can dwell with him. In fact, let him turn over the tables of you trying to set up your own feast, and let him set you apart to him Let him make of your body a place of meeting with him. Let him make of your life a life that partakes of eternal food and drink and will last with him into the heavenlies, into the life eternal. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, some of us are at the outset of life and what it means to be responsible and to respond, first of all, to your love and then in that love, responsibly share it. Lord, I pray that this morning there'd be no confusion. In this Lenten season, that there would be no confusion, that we need to adopt anything of the world. But instead, Lord, I pray that your presence would come in and change our homes, as it did for Mary and that wedding feast of Cana, that you would come in and you would change our our lives, that you would make of us holy temples, that you would make of this church, Lord, a holy temple that does not compromise that does not co-opt your kingdom to the world, but instead transforms our hearts, transforms this fellowship, and makes of us a people of transformation, a people that are radiating with your light and really set free in it. Lord, I pray that you would overturn the tables of our disobedience, that you would overturn the tables of our um, worldly infections, and that we would once again let you establish this meal that you are preparing even in the midst of many enemies who tempt us. Lord, let us receive from you. Let us be fed by you. Let us be people of love. We pray this in your holy name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.